Hey there, guys, and welcome to the John Campion Podcast, episode number 31 for Saturday, July the 16th, 2016. I am, of course, your host, John Campion. Thanks for joining me here. Hey, before we go any further, why don't you just take a quick second, subscribe to this YouTube channel right now. Go ahead, hit pause. Subscribe to this YouTube channel. If you're listening to this on uh, in a podcast-only feed, why don't you go ahead and make sure you're subscribed to the John Campia Podcast. And do me a favor, make sure at the end of this podcast, head on over, open up iTunes, and rate and comment on this podcast. That helps me out a great deal. Well, guys, it is the weekend. It is the final weekend before Comic-Con. I'm very excited about Comic-Con. I get really excited about Comic-Con every year. And I think the main reason... I get excited about Comic-Con. You might have heard me say this before, but the main reason I get excited for Comic-Con in San Diego is not for the the panels, although I, I, I do get excited about the panels. I'm excited about all the news that drops. It's not about the Comic-Con floor with all the great vendors and all the cool stuff, although that is great and I love doing that too. It's not about the fantastic food in San Diego because... Man, I love eating in the gas lamp district in San Diego. It's fantastic. The main reason I get excited about Comic-Con, and this may sound dramatic or this may sound wishy-washy, but I swear if you've been listening to me or watching me for for any amount of time for a few years, you've heard me probably say this before. That's absolutely true. The main reason I get excited for Comic-Con is because there's something good for the soul There's something good for the soul about being in a city and being in a few square blocks with 150,000 people, like you're shoulder to shoulder people most of the time, but everyone is happy and everybody is smiling and everybody's having good time. And you just know that all these people have looked forward to this all year and they're there and they're having fun and they're having a blast. And there's just something about especially with the state of the world right now, there's just something about being surrounded by that many people who are happy and and the the energy is so positive. It's just so great. And it's just, I find in a way, while Comic-Con is completely exhausting to me, I mean, I come back drained, but at the same time, I find my my batteries recharged in a way too. So I'm just really super excited about it. And a couple of really key things happening at Comic-Con this year, I want to make sure you're aware of. Number one, is my annual Masters of the Web panel. If you were going to be in San Diego at Comic-Con, <clears throat> pardon me, um, I want to make sure you knew that on Thursday, the Thursday of Comic-Con, at 11 a.m. in room 7A-B at the convention center, so that's 11 a.m. room 7A-B, is our annual Masters of the Web panel. And this year's theme is how we got started and how you can get started. So we're going to talk movies, but a lot of you guys often ask me, Hey, John, what, what gear do you use? How did you get started? What should I write about? What should I podcast about? How do I get going? How do I start developing my own podcast or my own YouTube channel or my own blog and all that kind of stuff? So what we're going to do is kind of dedicate this year's Masters of the Web panel to us telling you guys how we got our start because all of us are different on the panel and then giving you some tips and advice and taking your questions about how you can get started and how you can get rolling. So, and I'm so thrilled with the panel I have. I got myself. Uh, I've got from Fandango and DCL Access and Jedi Council, Tiffany Smith. We've got uh, my buddy, Christian Harloff. We got my buddy, John Schnepp. We've got the incredible uh, 
uh, senior editor of Rotten Tomatoes, Gray Drake. And we've got uh, one of the most popular uh, film guys on YouTube, Jeremy Johns, who's become a good buddy of mine. Uh, those, those of us are going to be sitting on the panel this year, so make sure you come and join us for that. But I also want to mention, if you're in San Diego for Comic-Con, and even if you don't have a badge, Film HQ, my show, Collider Video, my old team, and the Schmoes know we are all getting together for one big fan meet and greet on Thursday night at from 5 p.m. to 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. I want to say maybe it's 5 to 9. I can't remember. It starts at 5 p.m. And it's going to be at the Comic-Con HQ outdoor stage area right beside the Bayfront Hilton, the the, built, the hotel right beside the convention center. So it's going to be at our big Comic-Con HQ outdoor stage. So come on by, have a drink, meet me and the guys and uh, and the ladies of, Com- of uh, Collider and Film HQ and Schmoes. And it's just going to be a good time. Make sure you come and join us for that. So uh, with all that out of the way, let's get into the first couple of topics for today. And um, I, I got to start with this. So Star Wars Celebration is going on right now in London. And it's kind of sad that we couldn't be there this year, but you know, that's just the way timing and schedules work out. But they have been the reports came out a few weeks ago that hey guys, like first of all, they've been saying we're going to be streaming everything. Great. From uh, Star Wars Celebration. Then comes the reports that they're going to be debuting a 3-minute trailer. A 3-minute trailer. And then Reports come out that ABC is going to be airing a Star Wars special on the Friday night, which would have been yesterday. And in the TV Guide listings, new trailer for Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Brand new trailer they're going to be showing in that TV special. So, needless to say, people believe that, number one, well, if we watch the live stream, we're going to see this new Rogue One trailer. And then number two, well, then if we tune into the TV special at night on ABC, we're going to see the new Rogue One trailer. Now, let me say this before I get into what happened, all right? I, if you've been watching me for any period of time, you know that I have absolutely no problem with the idea of convention audiences getting exclusive footage and exclusive trailers. I have no problem with that. I'm not one of these people that goes, if you're going to show it to the people at a convention, you should show it to everybody. No, I don't believe that. I don't. I believe there that the people who save up all year, you know, the dude who works at McDonald's and he saves up all year to travel to Comic-Con or travel to Star Wars Celebration or travels to D23 or travels to New York Comic-Con or whatever, that they did that, they stood in line, they did all that effort I have no problem with those one, two, three, four, five, six thousand people getting something special that's just for them, even if it's just for a while. I have so I have no problem with the idea of let's, for argument's sake, let's just pull something out of thin air here. Let's say Paramount was bringing the you know the new Transformers that they're working on, that they're bringing that to Comic Con, and they've got their first like one minute trailer already, and they don't. But let's say they did. I have no problem with the idea of that, hey, you guys here in Hall H, you stood in line for 12 hours, you came all the way to San Diego, we've got a treat that's special for you, and show them the one-minute trailer, that then maybe they show the rest of the world a week later, a month later, five months later, whatever. I have no problem with that at all. There's nothing wrong with something special for the fans, because this has always been my argument. People will say, well, you should be showing it to us too. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Their only reason they put this one-minute trailer together was for Comic-Con. So 
if they didn't have this for the people who are at Comic-Con, you wouldn't be getting it anyway. It's not like the people at Paramount were going, hey, let's take this one-minute trailer and show it to the world. And then they go, oh, but wait, no, let's just show it to the Comic-Con audiences and not show it to the rest of the world. No, no, no. It was never their plan to show it to the whole world, but they put something special together for the people at Comic-Con. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Zero issue. I think that's totally fine. Eventually, you got to show it to the regular audience too, but nothing wrong with that. I think there's something that's totally fine with making the event special for the people that are there. That being said, as we said earlier, there have been reports for a couple of weeks now that at Celebration, a new three-minute trailer was dropping in the, the television guide listings for the television special that was airing Friday night on ABC. It said, new trailer for Star Wars Rogue One. Even if, let me back up a little bit. So yesterday the live stream comes and I get tweets from people say they took the morning off work. They took the afternoon off work, depending on what time zone they lived in to be there to watch the live stream. They wanted to see the first Star Wars trailer. I know in our studios, we stopped production at around nine o'clock because we knew this is when they're supposed to be doing the Star Wars trailer. And we, we stopped production and we did that. Like a lot of people around the world were looking forward to it because Star Wars allowed either either Star Wars directly put out the information that a new trailer was playing or they allowed the perception to be out there that a new trailer was going to be shown to everybody. Lucasfilm and Disney did one of those two things and neither of them are okay. Either one, they're the ones who put out the information that a new Rogue One trailer was going to be streamed and then shown on ABC later that night or two, they were fully aware that that was the perception out there because that was what was in the TV guide listings. That's what the reports were. And they just allowed the general public to continue believing that. Either way, Disney's complicit in this, okay? So they allow, Disney allows the perception to be out there that we're going to be showing this new trailer. And what did they do? They didn't show the trailer. Oh, they showed the trailer to the audience at Celebration. And again, I have no problem with that. But don't allow the rest of your fans around the world to be led to believe that you are going to show it to them first in the live stream and then on the television special later that night and then not show it to them. Yes, they played a very cool like three minute behind the scenes piece of footage, but the Rogue One trailer, what we were told we were going to get, they only showed to the celebration audience, the people there live and in person. And again, I have no problem with that. As long as you don't first let your regular fans around the world be led to believe that you were going to show it to us. And they didn't. They didn't. Instead, they went, hmm, people believe that if they tune into the live stream, they're going to see the trailer. Let's not correct that. Let's not correct their thinking. Let's not put out anything saying, oh, guys, just so you know, we are going to be streaming a special video, but the trailer is going to be exclusive for the people at Comic-Con. Hey guys, we know that the information in the TV guide listing says new trailer, but we want to warn you that it's not the trailer. It's just going to be the same three minutes uh, behind the scenes reel that we showed uh, in the stream earlier today. That's what Disney should have done. They should have let people know, hey, just so you know, it's not the trailer that the rest of the world is going to get. That's just for the celebration people. They didn't do that though. So you had all these people tune into this useless television special thinking they were going to get the Rogue One trailer, and they didn't. You had all these people stopping what they were doing in the day to watch the live stream, thinking they were going to get the new trailer, and they didn't. 
And I'm going to tell you, everybody knows my life revolves around Star Wars. It's sad, I know. But I was really, as a fan of Disney, as a fan of Marvel, as a fan of Star Wars, as a fan of Lucasfilm, I'm very disappointed in them. I, I am. I'm very disappointed in them. They knew that the perception out there, whether it was directly their responsibility for putting the word out there or not, they knew the perception, whether it's through mistakes or not, was that a new trailer was going to be shown worldwide to the fans. They knew that was out there. They knew the reports were out there. They knew that was listed in the TV guides. They knew that was the case, and they did nothing to correct the fans' expectations. They did nothing to correct the fans' expectations. Instead, they said, hey, more people will watch our useless television special if we don't tell them it's not actually the trailer. Hey, more people will log into the live stream if we don't tell them we're not showing the actual trailer. That's a little underhanded. Now, look, this isn't a big deal. It's not a big deal. There there are much bigger, more important issues in the world. And myself and all the other Star Wars fans, we're going to get over this pretty fast. We are. It's not a huge deal. But as somebody... And maybe if this was Universal doing it, or maybe if it was Paramount doing it, or maybe it was it was the Bourne series doing it, or if it was the Bond franchise doing it, or it was the Twilight franchise doing it, I'd still be, hey, that was a little bit underhanded, but I wouldn't be as disappointed. But the fact of the matter is, I love Lucasfilm. I love Lucasfilm. And to be disappointed by something you're such a big fan of, and something that you love so much, it's just a little extra sting. Again, it's not a huge deal. It's not. And I don't want to act like it is a big, big, big deal. I'm just saying that as a Star Wars fan, as a fan of Lucasfilm, as a lifelong fan of Lucasfilm, I'm I'm just disappointed. Now, and this is different from my disappointment like in the prequels. I was disappointed with how the prequels turned out. But at least George Lucas, he was trying to give something to the fans that he thought they would love. The fans didn't love it. But at least George Lucas's motivation was, I want to make something that the fans will love. And so there's that kind of disappointment. I was just disappointed that didn't turn out well. But this is, I'm actually disappointed in Lucasfilm, you know? So anyway, like I said, not a huge deal. I'll get over it. I just hope that they hear the disappointment coming from the fan community about how they treated this and how they handled this. And hopefully they will take steps to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again, because it's it's just disappointing. That's all. It's just disappointing. It's it's not a, I'm not a star Wars fan anymore. I'm not going to go see rogue one now. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's a small, it's a small thing. It's just disappointing. That's all. Um, now going right from something that was very, you know, that was kind of sad and disappointing about the Star Wars universe to something that is very awesome about the Star Wars universe. So this morning I wake up and there is, well, a couple of things. Uh, there's the new novel, but I'm going to set the novel aside for a second. A new trailer for Star Wars Rebels Season 3 came out. And something that we have been talking about and buzzing about and speculating about was finally confirmed the character of Grand Admiral Thrawn is being brought into Star Wars Rebels. Now, you know, if you followed me for any period of time, my favorite Star Wars books of all time are the Thrawn trilogy, the Heir to the Empire series done by Timothy Zahn that was set, uh, takes place like a number of years after. It's no longer canon. It's not canon, but it takes place a number of years after Return of the Jedi. And Grand Admiral Thrawn is my favorite you know, extended universe character in the Star Wars universe. I just, Thrawn is amazing. And we speculated for a long time because they said, even though all the old books are no longer canon, authors and filmmakers and creators are free to 
cherry pick from the old novels and stuff and take pieces out of that and bring it into canon. And they have chosen to do so with Grand Admiral Thrawn. And not only am I excited that they're doing Thrawn, but watching this like three and a half minute trailer for Rebel Season 3, they are actually nailing Thrawn. They, they exactly... They're, they got it. They understood Thrawn because everything he was saying was so perfect to the character. And I was really excited. And again, the trailer continues to suggest that Ezra may be heading down the dark side, that some bad things lay ahead for Ezra. He's being slowly, bit by bit, seduced by the dark side. We hear Kanan even talking about that, and that's very cool too. Uh, Darth Maul is coming back for this season, and that's cool because we know how the way season two ended. So that was very exciting. And, and you know, they did mention too that Timothy Zahn, the guy who wrote the Thrawn trilogy, he is writing now a canon book on Thrawn, a Thrawn novel. So uh, this is exciting. I love the Tarkin novel. And so the fact that they're doing a Thrawn novel right now is is pretty damn cool. I'm excited about it. All right, let's move on to this. Um, a little bit of buzz got created when Wonder Woman, new images for Wonder Woman got released. And look, everybody knows my history. I, I still have my doubts about Gal Gadot. I didn't think, while the Wonder Woman character was very good, I thought it was very good in Batman v Superman, I wasn't all that impressed with Gal Gadot's um, acting. I, but then again, to be fair, to be fair, there weren't many scenes where she was required to do much acting. So let's say, let's give it a pass. Let's give it a pass. That's me saying that. Let's let's give her a pass on that. I'm still nervous about her trying to lead a film. Um, but hey, let's give it the benefit of the doubt for now. But these new t- pictures came out. And while these new pictures say nothing about how good or bad the movie is or how good or bad the acting will be or, or any of that, the pictures came out. So let's just talk about these pictures. I think these pictures look great. I mean, they do. These pictures of Wonder Woman, these ones where she's doing the double bracelet cross, I think that looks really cool. I really like the picture of her and Patty Jenkins, the director. Uh, it's got a little bit of a Thor feel in the woods there, but that's fine. And a really nice picture with her and Chris Pine, some kind of contemplative moment, I'm sure, where she's thinking about leaving the island to go and join the conflict in the, in the world outside. But regardless, I think the look is spectacular. Now, granted, it's just a picture. We're only talking about the images. This says nothing about whether the movie will be good or bad, but as far as straight up images go, I can tell you, I like the costume. I like the look. Um, I think she looks like Wonder Woman. I, so I think these are great pictures. So I, I, I'm on board. Sign me up for these images. They get a thumbs up from me. Um, all right, let's move on to this next thing here. And this is kind of interesting. So one of the films, the most immediate coming up film that I'm really super stoked about is Suicide Squad. I have not seen Suicide Squad yet. There are whispers that there might be a secret Suicide Squad screening at Comic-Con. That's just whispers. I don't know if that's actually going to be the case, but who knows? Maybe at Comic-Con you'll be hearing that we saw Suicide Squad. But anyway, a lot of us have been wondering what is going to happen with this film? How will it do when it opens up? And right now, the the Hollywood pros are tracking that Suicide Squad could open as high as $125 million for its opening weekend. Now, I got to tell you, I'm very excited for Suicide Squad. I cannot wait to see this movie. I That doesn't sound right to me, though. It doesn't sound right to me. I I can't see it hitting $125 million. I, I, 
I, I just can't. I mean, I hope it's true. That would be awesome if Suicide Squad, if a, if an unknown property like Suicide Squad, now Grant, you got a killer cast in there and the trailers have been fantastic, I think. I think the trailers have been just killer. Um, no pun intended for Killer Croc. Um, but I still think 125 is a little unrealistic. I think Warner Brothers, the movie industry, should be super happy and throwing a party if it hits 100 million. Because what makes me nervous about these reports about 125 million, right? Okay, let's say now it makes 105 million. That would be an awesome number for a Suicide Squad. 105 million opening weekend for Suicide Squad? But now that these reports are out, you know that there are going to be people out there going, oh, it underperformed. No, that means it's a failure. It didn't, it didn't hit a, like, are you, are you kidding me? Are you effing kidding me? A movie, a movie like this, an unknown property like this to the general audience hits $105 million on opening weekend and you're going to sit there and call it a failure. You know, that's what's going to happen. You know it. Cause you know, my opinion, I, I have no time for, for corporate slave, uh, zealots. Like there's one thing, it's one thing to be more of a Marvel fan than anything else. It's one thing to be more of a DC fan than anything else, but these religious, uh, brain dead corporate slave zealots who just go, no, I only obey whatever Marvel tells me. I'll just, whatever Marvel tells me, I'll obey. And, and if DC puts something out, just say it sucks. Don't, who cares if it's not, doesn't suck? Who cares if it's good? Who cares if it's great? Just point out and say it sucks. That's, I just hate that. Or the verse is true too, where DC people say, no, anything by Marvel is stupid and sucks. I just, I cannot stand corporate slave zealots. I can't stand them. But you know, there are a bunch of the, those brain dead corporate zealots out there who they, they will only obey their corporate overlord master. And so if now that they've come out and said Suicide Squad is tracking for 125, if it does an amazing thing like crack 100 million opening weekend, you know that these brain dead corporate slaves are going to be going, pointing and writing Twitter posts and everything saying, oh, it failed. Oh, Suicide Squad failed. It underperformed. It should have made more. It's like, no, don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. So please, if this movie does open, first of all, if it does open to 125 million, that's nuts. That's crazy good. But this thing opens to 98 million, 107 million, something like that. That is a great result. It is a great result for a title like this, especially considering that a lot of people were disappointed. I like Batman versus Superman, but a lot of people didn't. And with a lot of people kind of being disappointed in Batman versus Superman, if this follow-up film that nobody, most of the general going audience has never heard of can crack a hundred million dollars. That would, that you throw parties for that. That'll be crazy good. So let's keep our eyes on that and see, see how that kind of turns. Again, I wish this report didn't come out, but we'll just see how it kind of uh, unravels at this point. All right. This other thing was kind of cool. Speaking of Paramount and the new Transformers movie that I kind of just fictitiously mentioned yesterday, well, there is a new Transformers movie coming out. It comes out in June of next year, 2017, and they're already shooting it and all that kind of stuff, and they might even be done wrapping. They might have wrapped shooting by now, but anyway, I'm not totally sure. The first official billboard for the new Transformers popped up in Times Square, and we see Optimus Prime with that badass sword of his, and we see the title of it, which is Transformers... The Last Night. Transformers The Last Night. K-N-I-G-H-T. So as in, you know, we're Knights of the Round Table kind of night. And assuming from Optimus Prime being front and center. 
we're kind of assuming at this point that that means that he is the last knight. Optimus Prime is the last knight. How many last things can Optimus Prime be? He was the last Prime. Uh, they're the last of the Autobots. And now he's also the last knight. And, you know, Transformer 6 will be the last plumber. And then episode 8, the last electrician. Like, I don't know. But whatever. Um, you know what? I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker. Now, I really enjoyed the first Transformers movie. You guys have heard me say that a million times. I, I thought the first Transformers movie was really fun, and I enjoyed it, and I almost got choked up seeing Optimus Prime, that very first scene. You know what I'm talking about. When he, in truck form, drives through the mist in the alley, and then we first see him transform. I got choked up when that happened, and I, I really liked the first one. I have despised every Transformers movie since. Just despised them. And the last one regardless of how much money it made, was just a train wreck and an insult to humanity. A train wreck and an insult to humanity. Um, and yet, no matter how many times I get, you know, teabagged in the face by Michael Bay on these Transformers movies, I keep holding out hope every time a new one comes out. Because like a sucker, I keep remembering, but I love the first one. That was directed by Michael Bay. I loved the first one. I thought the first one was great. Maybe this one, number two, will also be great. No. Well, maybe this one, number three, will be great. No. Well, maybe this one, number four, will be great. No. Um, and yet, I still, like I said, I'm a sucker. I see this billboard and I get excited. I'm freaking hopeless. I am so freaking hopeless. And sure enough, I just know what's going to happen. The first trailer for Transformers the last night will come out. And I'll be excited. I'll go, oh, this one might be good. Just like I did for the last three. I never freaking learn. I never freaking learn. And there's a lot of you that never learn either. And I'm the only difference between you and me is I am admitting I'm a sucker. And I'm going to get duped again. And I'm going to buy into the hype. And I'm going to get excited. And I'm sure that about six months from now, when the first Transformers trailer comes out, I'm going to be going, you know what? I got a feeling this one could turn it around. I am, I am embarrassed for my future self. I'm just, I am now projecting my mind six months into the future and seeing John Campia talking about the first Transformers movie like an idiot, getting all excited again. I can see him now. Look at, look at his face, folks. Look at that face, John Campia, six months from now. Look at the hope in his face. Look at the optimism in his face. Look at the belief in his face. I am so embarrassed for that guy. I haven't been suckered yet, but I know it's coming. I'm embarrassed for that guy. I'm humiliated. I'm like, you know how you look back at pictures of yourself in high school and how you used to dress and you go, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. I'm looking at me six from, six months from now and thinking, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. I am so embarrassed for what I know I am going to do because I'm an idiot and I'm a sucker. Sigh. But the billboard does look good, right? Maybe this is the one. I don't know. Anyway. Um, all right, guys. I'm going to uh, take some of your questions now. And I mentioned to you the last couple shows, I now have a way for you to email in questions that you'd like to send to me, questions or topics that you'd like me to address on the John Campy podcast. And you simply do that by emailing me, emailing me at thejohncampiapodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's thejohncampiapodcast 
at gmail.com. So I'm going to take a couple of questions right now. Uh, this first one comes from B. Wayne, who writes, what do you think about Tim Duncan's retirement? Yeah, you know what? Tim Duncan um, is just, and you guys know I like to talk a little bit of sports every one of my podcasts. He was just the consummate. He's top 10 all time. Now, there are some people out there right now who are getting mad at me for not saying automatically top five all time. He very well may be top five all time, but without doubt, no question, no question, top 10 all time, top 10 all time. But Tim Duncan conducted himself in such a way that he never drew attention to himself. He never, you know, pointed at himself like I'm the man. And when he retired, he didn't first announce, hey, guy, and have a retirement tour season where all the you know, accolades and praise can be heaped upon him for a year as he travels from city to city playing in his final games in those cities and blah, blah. Nope. He just waited till the season was over, then put out a little statement. Hey, guys, just so you know, I've, I've, I've hung it up. I retired. And that just kind of exemplifies the way he played his whole career. He never played flashy. He never played egotistically. He never drew attention to himself. He very quietly went about winning five NBA championships, constantly taking his team deep in the playoffs like every year and making the players around him better and doing so with a totally closed mouth, at least in front of the cameras, totally closed mouth. Never drew attention to himself, nothing. Like I got no problem with NBA players who say, hey guys, this upcoming season is going to be my final and they have a little bit of farewell talk. I got no problem with that. No, I don't. Actually, I don't. But there's something special about a guy like Tim Duncan who just does it that way. And he was the proof that like, you know what? The best basketball players aren't the ones who can jump from the from the free throw line and do a 360 loop and jam it. No, no. The best basketball players are the ones who know how to pass right. They're the ones who know the proper fundamentals of how to shoot a ball. They're the ones who know how to read a defense. Those are the ones that are, that turn out to be the best basketball players. Like that's why, you know, a, a lot of times now every year when the U.S. eventually plays Spain, sometimes Spain upsets the U.S. It's like, well, Spain only has one or two NBA players. Yeah, but they all play fundamental basketball. That's the thing. And so, and Tim Duncan is like the perfect representation of fundamental basketball. And he's just classy. He conducted himself with class and grace and will go down known as one of the greatest of all time. So uh, I love the way Tim Duncan played his career and I love the way he ended his career. So hats off to Tim Duncan. All right, next question. This one comes from Aaron Teeters who writes, what do you think will be the better showcase for Andrew Garfield, Mel Gibson's Hacksaw Ridge or Martin Scorsese's Silence? Keep up the awesome work. You're one of the best. Thank you so much, Aaron. Yeah, Andrew Garfield. You know, I've been like just lauding on Andrew Garfield ever since I saw him in The Social Network. Like everybody talks about um, Jesse Eisenberg. in the social, And Jesse Eisenberg was good in The Social Network. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he wasn't. He was. And people want to talk about this, about The Social Network, that. I'm sorry. That movie doesn't work if it wasn't for Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield and the performance he gives in that movie, he brought the humanity to that movie because the Justin Timberlake character certainly didn't. And Jesse Eisenberg's was the centerpiece, but the Jesse Eisenberg character, 
he didn't bring the humanity to it either. It was what gave that movie a beating heart was Andrew Garfield and his performance. And I thought that he was robbed of the Best Supporting Actor Oscar that year. I thought he was robbed. But that's just me. And I thought Andrew Garfield was a very good Spider-Man. Now, we all have our opinion about The Amazing Spider-Man too, but that was not Andrew Garfield's performance fault. I mean, Andrew Garfield, I think, was a very good Spider-Man. And now he's got these two, on paper, are like Oscar bait roles, right? First of all, it's going to be Mel Gibson's Hacksaw Ridge. That could be a huge thing for him. But then he's also going in the hands of Martin Scorsese, one of the greatest directors of all time. And Mel Gibson, I mean, whatever we think of Mar- Mar- like Mel Gibson and his personality and his antics, whatever our thoughts on that may be, there's no getting around. He is one of the most like incredible directors in the world. Um, he's kind of crazy good. So, like, so here he's going to be in these incredible director's hands with two compelling sounding stories. I'm going to say, this is pure speculation because I haven't seen a trailer for either. Mel Gibson's Hacksaw Ridge is going to be the one that Andrew Garfield really pops in. I think he's going to pop in both. I'm just, but I'm pure speculation. I'm saying I think Andrew Garfield is really going to pop in Hacksaw Ridge. All right, let's move on to the next question. And this one comes from, I love this name, Vader Little. And Vader Little writes, Hi, John. I'm really excited for Justice League and with all the news and stuff. But my fear is with all that fun and light tone in the movie, you know, there have been reports coming out. Just, you know, he's talking about that. They're going to try to add a little bit more fun and a lighter tone to Justice League than was in Batman versus Superman. Um, With all the fun and lighter tone in the movie, do you think that they will ruin the character of Ben Affleck's Batman? Like as in Batman and Robin? Um, Hey, fair question. You know, What happens a lot in movies is when a movie comes out and we don't like it, we will point to something, a surface issue, and say, oh, that's the problem. Or or the opposite. We point to, if something's really great, surprisingly great, we point to a surface issue and say, oh, that's why it worked. Like, it worked in the reverse with Deadpool. Deadpool comes out and everybody goes, why was it so great? Why is it so, so successful? Oh, because it was rated R. No, that's not why it was successful. There have been lots and lots of R-rated comic book movies, and most of them fail. So it wasn't because it was rated R. It's because it did a lot of other things right. With Batman v Superman, it worked with the opposite of Deadpool, where it's like a lot of people didn't like it, and they go, oh, it's that, it was that dark, depressing tone. It was the tone. You know what? No, there was nothing wrong with the tone of Batman v Superman. Nothing wrong with the tone. I didn't hear anybody complaining about Christopher Nolan's tone. His tone was pretty dark. His tone was pretty somber in his Batman trilogy. And everybody, rightfully so, accolades that trilogy as one of the greatest of all time. I got no problem with that. The problem wasn't the tone. The problem was all the other things that didn't quite work. And like, even as a fan of Batman vs. Superman, I acknowledge the issues. It had some very odd editing decisions. The story flow didn't work right. They didn't emphasize enough points of contention between the points of conflict between the characters. There were several things they could have done better. So to me, the issue wasn't the tone. So, and I think Warner Brothers knows that. And I think Zack Snyder knows that. But I also think he knows we needed a little bit more levity. Like in the midst of this dark tone, Whenever you have something pretty dark, every once in a while you need to pepper in a good balance of lighthearted moments just to give a more even feel to the film while you're still making it a dark film. 
And I think it's fair to say that Batman v Superman probably could have used a few more of those moments. It probably could have. And the one big one that they tried to do that didn't work was, uh, is she with you? Oh, I thought she was with you. Like that, that joke didn't work. I, lo- I really like Batman v Superman, but that joke didn't work. Um, so I don't think we should expect to see a totally top to bottom different tone. All right. We're not Justice League. Trust me, folks, is not going to be Ant-Man. Ant-Man was awesome for Ant-Man, but we're not about to see an Ant-Man tone for Justice League. That's not going to happen. What I simply think they mean by that is they, they acknowledge that, you know what, we needed to pepper in a few more moments, a few more moments that give a little bit more of an even flow to the story, balance out some of the darker, heavier stuff with, with some lighter stuff. Don't take the darkness aspect that's down here and, oh, let's raise it to light. No, no, no. Keep your dark elements Keep it where you want it to be. Just make sure you throw in a few things that are up here to give a smoother feel. And I think that's what's going to happen uh, to it. And uh, I think I think they'll be totally fine. I really do. All right. Last question of the day. And this one comes from Jill Gelantine. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Jim. Anyway, I have a question for your podcast next week. And we're back on Batman vs. Superman. I know you like the movie Batman v Superman, despite its flaws. And I agree with you that despite those flaws, it isn't a bad film. My question for you is, what would you have done to make the movie better? What would you have taken out or put in to make it a hit at the box office? Well, first of all, let's make no mistakes about this. Batman v Superman was a hit at the box office. Okay, there's no getting around that. Uh, let me just pull up the actual numbers here. I should have done this earlier. But worldwide, Batman versus Superman made almost $900 million. The, the current number it sits at from, from the calculations I have is $872 million. I don't care who you talk to. I don't care what excuses or jibber jabber people try to make. By any definition, a movie making $872 million at the box office is a hit. It's a hit. Is it as big of a hit as it could have been? No. Could it have been made much more money at the box office, had more people liked it and repeat viewings and gone check it out? Yes, it could have. But that does not take away from the fact that unless you have no understanding of the concept of math, that $872 million is a hit. It's a hit movie, okay, by any definition. So let's just get that out of the way right now. But what would I have done to make it better? Well, I think a couple of things we've already kind of mentioned. I think one, like the previous question says, it, it did need to even out its tone a little bit. Not elevate, not don't make Batman so dark. No, 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 keep Batman dark, but just throw in moments that even it out a bit, even the experience out, even the flavor out for the audience. I think that would have been good. Um, they should have abandoned a couple of storylines. Um for instance, the whole thing about the African situation that starts the movie, right? Shouldn't have even been in the movie. The, the questions of the Earth questioning Superman and what is the moral implications of a Superman being in our world, blah, blah, blah. Those, all those things speak for themselves. You didn't need to manufacture that opening African scene and all the controversy that goes along with it, you know, with the woman who's saying that she saw Superman killing people when really she was being paid off by Lex Luthor to do it. Like, you didn't need any of that. They needed to streamline the movie a little bit more. And also, while I love the scene at Lex's party with Bruce and Clark, um, I think you needed more 
of that. I think you needed another encounter. I think you need another encounter between Superman and Batman. What Batman and Superman needed was their Daredevil moment. Remember that scene in Daredevil season two when Daredevil and the Punisher are on the rooftop the entire episode? And it's basically a philosophical exchange, clearly painting out the differences in their philosophies. They're on the same side. They want to take out criminals, but they have a very different approach and one, and each of them don't approve of the other and the way they do it. And I think Batman v Superman, while they hinted at that, at the conversation between Bruce and Clark at Lex's party, they, they never explored it, all right? They just went right to bring me the head of the bat. And and I still liked it. I still like that they did that, but it could have been a lot better. Also, they needed to add in some of the things they put in the Ultimate Edition where Clark is investigating Batman, where Clark Kent is investigating Batman and he's learning a lot. And because as he's learning, we're learning about the history of the Batman. Batman hasn't always been, like in the Ultimate Edition, we learned that Batman hasn't always been this way. You know, we learn from that one guy in the apartment who says, there's a, he's got a whole new mean in him. Like something has happened, presumably the alien invasion. It really broke something in Bruce that he's gotten more vicious and more mean and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think more of that would have helped flow the story a lot better, better connective tissue. And we needed to see Batman as Batman and, and Superman as Superman together on screen much sooner in the film, like not in the first 10 minutes, but I felt like we waited an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes into the movie before they even shared the screen together. And they needed to do this. So really, there's mostly issues of pacing, flow, and tone. Once again, keep the dark tone. Just They need to add in a little bit more levity. And if they'd done all that, I think it would have been much more palatable to a lot more people. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for this installment of the John Campy Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Next episode will be Monday, the final episode before I go to Comic-Con. Make sure you join me. Once again, if you're watching the show on YouTube, take a second and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, that would be awesome if you did. Also, if you're listening to this podcast in the audio only edition, make sure you subscribe to our podcast and make sure you open up iTunes. Even if you don't use iTunes, find the John Campia podcast and leave a comment and make sure you rate the podcast as well. That helps me out a great deal. And again, if you're going to be in San Diego at San Diego Comic-Con, the Masters of the Web panel on Thursday in room 7AB, how we got started, how you can get started. Make sure you come to that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And of course, our meet and greet with Film HQ, Collider Video, and Schmoes No is going to be Thursday at five, starting at 5 p.m., going to, I think, 8 o'clock p.m. outside the uh, Hilton Bayfront Hotel, right beside the Fox Sports Girl at the Comic-Con HQ outdoor stage. Make sure you come on by and say hello. Take some pictures with uh, me or other people in the crew that you're big fans of. Come on down and join us there for that. So, and by the way, guys, my show, Film HQ, on the Comic-Con HQ network. Do you know how weird it is for me to say, yeah, I'm the exec producer on the show, on this network now, and joining me are other producers and, and, and people like Mark Hamill. Luke Skywalker himself has a show on our network. Uh, Nathan Fillion, Alan Tudyk, Kevin Pereira, Adam Sessler, um, Her Universe. You know, just lots of great stuff on Comic-Con HQ. Make sure you go over to www.comic-conhq and sign up for your free trial until after Comic-Con is done. Check it out. See if you like the content that's on there. I am confident that you will. And make sure you watch Film HQ with me and John Schnapp and a whole bunch of other great people. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for this installment of the John Campion Podcast. Thanks a lot for joining me. My name is John Campion. And until next time, bye-bye.